Happy Easter. Oh, so much better. Thank you. So great to see you all here this morning. I, I mean that. Uh, for those of you who are regulars, we're, we're honored to have you here. If you're a visitor with us today, especially honored to have you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to do that at the end of the service. My name is Jason. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're going to be, as Daniel read in John chapter 12, uh, as we celebrate the resurrection together. And today we're going to be looking at not just the resurrection of Jesus, but the significance of the resurrection, what it means for us. As we think about this last week in the life of Christ between his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, uh, his death on Friday, and then resurrection the following Sunday, it's easy to miss some of the significant smaller moments in the in-between. And that's where we are today in John chapter 12. We in the Gospel of John, haven't even made it to Good Friday yet, but in what we're gonna look at today, this interaction between Jesus and a small group of people, we're gonna see the significance of the coming resurrection and what it means for us today, and really the ultimate purpose of why Jesus came to earth to begin with. We think about that question, why did Jesus come to earth? Well, we think about things like, well, he came to earth to live a perfect life, to show us how to be image bearers. He, he came to earth to die on the cross. He came to earth to perform miracles. He came to earth to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. He came to earth to resurrect from the dead. He came to earth to start the church. Think about all these reasons, right? But what's the ultimate reason that Jesus came to earth? We're gonna see that today in this story. So I'm gonna start in verse 20. And really, it's kind of an unusual thing uh, that we're about to read, and it's easy to pass over it, but there's this description of a group of people who are gonna come to Jesus. So verse 20 says um, that among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. That's a really unusual Bible verse, and I'm gonna explain why. First of all, uh, these Greeks weren't part of the normal crowd who would be going to Jerusalem. Now, it was normal this time of year for a lot of travelers to come to Jerusalem to worship. Jews from surrounding villages and cities would make their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and hundreds of thousands of Jews would gather in Jerusalem for this holy week to celebrate the Passover. But what's unusual is that among the Jews now, we've got a small group of Greeks coming. And here's there's a couple reasons why that's strange and even risky. First of all, the fact that they were Greeks means they come from um, this, this, this religious background of believing in many gods, okay? And so as they're thinking about these particular Greeks being worshipers, they come from a mindset that almost anything can be a god, right? You can, you've got the sun god, you've got the fertility god, you've got the ground god, the water god, the, all these different gods, right? So it would be unusual for a Greek to be coming to Jerusalem to worship with the Jews who believe in the one true god, Yahweh. So it tells us something about these Greeks. Maybe they would, had looked for purpose and meaning in their own religion and, and hadn't found it. And so now they were looking for another answer. But not only that, it was very risky. Because if you think about it, the Romans are about to unleash persecution on the Jews and the Christians, starting with Jesus himself. That what follows after this, especially for those who follow Christ, is this fierce persecution such that by the time we get to the book of Acts, just a little while longer, uh, later in your, in your Bible, Paul has been given written permission from the Romans to go door to door and to drag any person who professed to follow Jesus out into the streets and put them to death. And so for these Greeks, they're actually violating not just their religious heritage, but Roman law by coming here to worship the God that the Jews claim to be the one true God. And to make it even riskier, at this point in history, the Jews weren't the friendliest cats around. 
They had been through a lot in the last seven centuries, a lot of persecution, they had been mistreated. And at this point in history, they had become a people who insulated themselves from everybody else. And they considered every other race, every other religion to be unclean. They called them pagans, they called them Gentiles. And it was so, such a big deal for the Jews that if you were Jewish and you traveled to a foreign country, upon entering back into the nation of Israel, you would shake the dust off of your feet, the dirty Gentile dust, before stepping back into Israel. You couldn't share meals, let alone utensils with the Gentiles. You couldn't allow Gentiles to come into your home or your home would be unclean. You didn't go into the home of a Gentile or you would be considered unclean. I mean, this is like racism, right? Turned up to dial to 10 on the dial. And so these Greeks, not only were they at risk of violating their own religious obligations by coming to Jerusalem to worship with the Jews, they faced the potential of being rejected altogether. It would have been very common for the Jews to say, I don't think so. And so here they are now coming to Jerusalem and they are seeking after Jesus. They come up to Philip. Now, Philip's an interesting character in the Gospel of John. He's kind of the in-between guy. All the way back in chapter one, it was Philip who brought Nathaniel to Jesus. And now here he is towards the end of the life and ministry of Jesus. And he's gonna bring this group of Greeks to Jesus. They come to Philip, they seek him out like, hey, can you get us some face time with Jesus? Can you get us some time with this one called Jesus that we could speak with him? And so Philip's like, yeah, I can introduce you. And so Philip in verse 21, so these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida and Galilee and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. So Philip went, he told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So everything that's gonna transpire after this now is Jesus is coming to address the, this, these, this crowd, this group of Greeks. He's also gonna be speaking to the disciples who are there listening. And so we read on in verse 23, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now what an interesting response from Jesus to these Greek worshipers. Now so much about this setting, this scene, is really descriptive and indicative of Easter Sunday in the United States today. This is a day where tens upon thousands upon thousands of pilgrims make their way to the church, right? For this one special moment in our calendar. Some of you, this is like the one Sunday you come to church each year. And we're so glad that you are here. And I hope that you find in your experience today, not just the purpose of today, but even purpose and and meaning that might bring you back again. But so many of us have stepped out of a world that is latching on to all kinds of false gods that, that, that we're kind of like Greeks coming into this place. We've looked for purpose and meaning in things like our job, our career, relationships, achievements, accolades, the approval of others. And so a lot like the Greeks who had all these different gods, we, we, we ascend on the church this, this weekend coming from this background, looking and hoping to find hope in something else. And so now Jesus, as he responds to the Greeks, he's responding to all of us here today. And not only is he gonna explain to the the Greeks about his death and resurrection and why they've actually come to him and and the hope that they might have in him, he's gonna be speaking to us as well. 
And so he says his first words are these, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. There are special moments in the life and ministry where Jesus is specifically glorified in a big way. Think about his baptism. At the baptism of Jesus, he comes up out of the water and God speaks from heaven. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. We have moments like the transfiguration where he transforms himself in front of a few disciples and they're able to see him and behold him in the fullness of his glory as the son of God. And now as we approach the the cross and the resurrection, these special moments that will glorify Jesus, Jesus is saying the hour has come. It's go time. It's time for the son of man to be glorified. And then what's interesting is then he shifts to this farming metaphor to describe how he's gonna be glorified. And what does he say? He says, kind of like a grain of wheat. This is not where I expected Jesus to go at all. It's like a, a grain of wheat. And if it falls to the earth and die, unless it falls to the earth and dies, it remains one. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, what an interesting illustration. Well, we know grain of wheat that has a lot of value and uses. You take a grain of wheat and you harvest it with a bunch of other grains of wheat and you can crunch it up and turn it into powder and take that powder and we can turn it into a loaf of bread. So a grain of wheat has a lot of value. But what Jesus is saying is, yeah, and, and that's, that's true. You could actually take a grain of wheat and you could find value in it, but tell you how to find more value in a grain of wheat. Take that same single grain of wheat, break it off and let it die and be buried into the earth and then watch it come to life and produce much fruit. There's more value in a grain of wheat if it isn't consumed and instead it dies and is buried and then comes back to life. And he's using this metaphor to describe his own life. There's a value in Jesus spending more time here on earth. Matter of fact, there's moments where the disciples are like, please don't go. Stay with us a little longer. And Jesus says what? I know it would be good for me to stay, but it's actually better if I go. And so now here in his final hours, he's saying, listen, you wanna see the full purpose and why I have come to earth? It's like a grain of wheat. And you get the most out of a grain of wheat if you'll let it die and be buried and come back to life. Now this is a powerful moment, not just for the Greeks and those present, but it's a powerful moment for us as well. So the idea here is is somehow um, Jesus is saying, I'm gonna be glorified through becoming like this grain of wheat. But what's interesting in verse 25 now, he begins to talk about us and he says this, whoever loves his life loses it. What does Jesus mean by that? So we think about what does it mean to love your life? It's not just loving your physical life, but it's loving everything about your life. It's latching on to things of your life and holding on to them as though they are of ultimate value and purpose. And Jesus is saying, there's an irony in that. If you live your life loving the things of this world, loving what you can accomplish for yourself, what you can achieve for yourself, what you can earn for yourself, then in the end, here's the irony, you're actually gonna lose it. The tighter you try to hold on to those things that matter so much to you, in the end, it's all gonna be taken away. You guys have heard this phrase at a funeral, you don't take it with you. And so Jesus is addressing that with the crowd. He's looking at a group of people and saying, listen, I can see in you a lot of love for the things you have. And as long as you're trying to find your purpose and your meaning and your value in the things you can hold with your hand, in the end, you are gonna lose your life. But the flip side of this is what? 
whoever hates or loves less his own life in the world will actually keep it for eternal life. So not only is this grain of wheat illustration gonna describe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it's actually an invitation for each of us, right? To die to our own selves, to let go of finding our purpose and meaning and value in all the small lowercase gods of this world, just like the Greeks here, saying, hey, let go of trying to find purpose and meaning in those things that are gonna be stripped away from you And in losing your own life and loving your life less, you will actually find eternal life. He goes on to say, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So we think about what that means today for Easter. So the setting of Jerusalem, there were a lot of people worshiping that week. Some of those people were from Jerusalem. This was their normal setting, kind of like church today. Some of you, this is your regular setting. But there were a lot of visitors, a lot of people from the outside who came in, who took great risk. I wonder today how many of us here today maybe even feel that way coming into church. Like, I kind of feel like a stranger, or, you know, I hope that they don't reject me. I hope they'll accept me. I hope they don't ask me to pray. Hope they don't ask too much. I hope they'll let me just sit there and be quiet and I can just shake a hand, walk in and mind my own and, and then get out of there without anybody signing me up for something. And <laughs> so much about this setting reminds me of Easter. When, when the pilgrims make their way to the church to worship. And Jesus would say the same thing he says to the people here to you. You're here for a reason. You're here probably because somebody invited you or because your mom wouldn't get off your back or maybe she promised you lunch afterwards or a lot of reasons why you came. But since being here, something has begun to shift in you. Something has begun to stir in you. There's a greater purpose for you being here. And what Jesus is saying is, here it is. While I have your attention today, let me just say, there's a reason why you're not finding purpose and meaning and joy and satisfaction in the world out there. And here it is, is because the more you try to hold on and love the things of this world, the less meaning, the less purpose, the less peace, the less security you're actually gonna find. And you know that, don't you? That's why we bounce around from one thing to another. This thing will make me happy. This thing will, will cause me to feel accepted and, and, and in charge of my life, only what? To be let down again. Well, maybe it's something else. And so we bounce around from thing to thing, looking for purpose and meaning. And Jesus said, you want purpose and meaning? You want value and peace? You wanna be accepted? Here it is, let go of your life. He who loves his life less, hates his own life, will actually find the thing he's chasing after, she's chasing after, eternal life. And that is the invitation for you today. We continue reading here in verse 27. Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. What's interesting is we know why Jesus' soul is troubled. That the cross is right around the corner. He's already beginning to feel the agony of suffering that, that awaits him just a few days later. And his soul is troubled by that. And he responds by saying, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? In some ways he's being a little bit maybe facetious saying, listen, what would I do? Bail on the plan right now? I mean, this has been the plan since eternity. 
that I would come to earth and die on your behalf like a grain of wheat and fall to the ground and be buried, that I may spring to life. So should I bail on the plan now? Absolutely not. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Of all the reasons why Jesus came to earth, his ultimate purpose is what? To glorify the name of the Father. This is why he's here. What do we mean by glorify? To make God known, to make much of God, to call attention to God, to draw people to God. This is why I have come. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd stood here and heard it said that it, uh, that it had thundered. For some of the people in the room, they weren't getting it. Some of the people here, they hear this voice from heaven, they're like, I've, that's, that's gotta be thunder. Like that, that, that couldn't have been the voice of God, it had to be thunder. This is the voice of God saying what? I have glorified my name and I will do it again. The cross is on the way. The resurrection is on the way. And others said, well, maybe an angel has spoken. But Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. And verse 31 is really where I wanna focus our attention now. So Jesus says this, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Listen, I don't know if you fully understand the significance of the resurrection and why it's essential. You might say, well, it's essential because it's God's son and he needs to come back to life. Okay, I'll give you that. But the point of the resurrection is victory. We just sing about it. Victory over what? Victory over your greatest enemies. Like the resurrection is, is, is more than bringing Jesus back to life, in bringing Jesus back to life, he's standing in triumph and victory over something. What? Sin and death. The two things you can't overcome. You don't even have to be a religious person to know this is true. You've tried, I've tried, to overcome sin in our own strength and power. And you might be sitting there going, no, I can do it this time. Okay, okay, come down to the front end of the service and promise God you won't sin anymore right? And then I'll see you back next week. We know it, right? We cannot in our own strength overcome sin. I don't even really need to talk about death, do I? Look, we can't overcome it. And so the, the victory of the resurrection is the son of God standing in triumphant victory over sin and death. And here in this moment, Jesus is saying to the father, glorify your name. And, and the father is saying, I have glorified it and I'm about to do it again. When? Well, when that grain of wheat that's been put to death, buried in the ground, comes back to life. Think about the triumph of a plant breaking through the ground. Such a small thing, isn't it? But isn't it a miraculous thing that something dead can be pushed into the dirt and under the right conditions, it comes back to life. Like every twig, every little sprout of, of new grass, even a weed is a miracle, right? Where something dead has come back to life. And now here Jesus is saying, you know what that coming back to life represents? Victory over the enemies of this world. 
And he ends with these words. Now think about it. He's got a group of Greeks who were taking a risk, right? These are not your typical Jewish worshipers who are part of this conversation. His disciples were here, at least a few of them. And he says in verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now that's good news. That's good news for these Greeks, isn't it? Jesus is saying, listen, I I recognize that you're not Jewish and you think you don't belong here, but when I am lifted up, I'm gonna draw all men to myself. To To the Jews who are potentially listening, his disciples, listen guys, this promise of the resurrection, this promise of what God is going to do through me is not just for you. When I am lifted up, I'm gonna draw all men to myself. When you think about the resurrection, that's what Jesus is doing as he stands in victory and triumph over sin and death. He is now drawing all men to himself. And what's interesting is this makes me think about a conversation that happened earlier in this same gospel between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. This was a conversation where a man comes to Jesus in private. He was a very educated man, very intelligent man. And he says, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And this is where Jesus responds. I'll, I'll tell you, it's pretty simple. You just need to be born again. And he's like, wait a second. That is, how, what does it make sense? How am I gonna like be born again? Like go back into my mother's womb? Like, I don't think she'd be in for that, Jesus. It wasn't a great experience the first time. It's certainly not gonna happen again. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You have to be born of both water and spirit. And he says, all right, Nicodemus, let me, let me, let me give you an illustration. And he refers to something that happened in the Old Testament, which is gonna help us understand this phrase where Jesus is being lifted up. So in the Old Testament, the Jews were traveling through the desert and they encountered these snakes, very poisonous snakes. And these snakes were biting the Jews and several of them had fallen sick and had died. And so they began to cry out to God. Like, God, we're, we're helpless here. Would you help us with these snakes? And so instead of God getting rid of the snakes, he instead gives them a means by which to be healed if they get bitten. So God could have said, okay, I'll take care of the snakes. But instead he didn't. He allowed them to continue to get bitten, but he provided, me, provided a means for them to be healed. He told Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take uh, some, some bronze material. I want you to fashion uh, just this kind of image of the snake. And I want you to attach it to a big tall stick. Give it to somebody who's up at the front uh, of the crowd walking and make sure everybody can see it. So if anybody gets bit, they can just look on the snake this serpent on the stick and be healed immediately. And so in Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus, we'll read this from John three, listen to this. Verse 14, he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. We begin to understand what Jesus is saying there in John chapter 12, don't we? When he says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus. He goes on and says this, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now here's why that's important. When Moses was with the children of Israel out in the, in the, in the, in the desert, and, Jesus, and God says, here's what I want you to do, Moses. Put the serpent on the stick. He didn't say, okay, now, if somebody gets bit, have them run to the front of the crowd, kiss the serpent, say this special prayer, and then they'll be healed. Well, why not? 
Well, if you're at the back of the crowd, there's probably no chance you're even gonna get there. And so God made it so simple for the Israelites to, to be healed. All they had to do was just look. And so what Jesus is saying is this is the idea of belief. There, there isn't a special chant. You don't have to come to the front to be saved. There's not a special person in our church who has this special ability to save people. It's quite simple. And Jesus says it to Nicodemus and he's saying it to us here through John 12. Whoever believes in him should have eternal life and never perish. So as the son of man is lifted up on Easter Sunday so that you and I might simply just believe and in believing have eternal life. We think about all of the benefits we have in Christ. I'll just give you a few. If you're in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, your sins have been forgiven. There's another part of that that's really important. Did you know that the only way to get into heaven is to be perfect? I thought this was a place for good news. It is. See, that's part of the purpose of Jesus' perfect life is he says, yeah, it's the only way to get in, but I'll tell you what, here, have mine. So it's part of, part of what it means. It's part of the, what you have in Christ. You've been forgiven. You've been given this perfect life of Jesus. Not only that, we have access. We can pray with the Holy Spirit. But here in these words in John chapter 12, I'll read again. I would say the ultimate benefit of being saved when Jesus says, where I am, there will my servant be also. So it's not all those other things. It's a restored relationship with God that stands at the pinnacle of all that we have in Christ. So we think about, well, I've come to church today because I want to feel better about myself. I want my sins to be forgiven. Fabulous. Jesus can forgive you of your sins. I want to I feel like my life has purpose and meaning. Excellent. You can find purpose and meaning in Christ. I want to come to church today because I want a new start. I want a I do-over. Fabulous. There's a new life offered to you in Christ. But the ultimate reason that Jesus has drawn you here today and the reason there's something stirring in your heart right now is a restored relationship with God. To set that right. That's why there's this forgiveness of sins and, and this righteousness extended to you that you and I might have a restored relationship with God. And so I don't know why you came today. Maybe it was to get your mom off your back. <laughs> I get it. Maybe it's because this is what your family does every Easter. That's fine. But now that you're here, Christ is responding to you saying, listen, here's what Easter is about. It's about me being lifted up and drawing all men to myself. And you might be sitting there going, yeah, but you don't really know my past. Like I may look like a church person, but I'm telling you, like I'm not. And Jesus says, hey, that's part of all men. Yeah, but you don't know all my struggles. Like you don't know what, what my demons are. You don't know how bad I've had it. And Jesus says, I'm drawing all men to myself. What about those of us who are like really like just dirty? And Jesus says, what? I'm drawing all men to myself. I wanna end with a promise from God to you from Romans chapter 10 that I believe speaks to this moment in the scriptures and speaks to us today. In Romans chapter 10, we read these words, verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everybody who behaves himself, 
Everybody who has perfect church attendance, everybody who wears their church clothes and has their church lingo ready. No, everyone goes on to say this, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing the riches on all who call on him. For everyone, listen, please listen. If you came today hoping to maybe, just maybe, hear from God, listen to his words. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The same rescue that was offered for the Israelites in the desert is offered to you today by simply looking on the resurrected Christ and saying, I believe. Everyone who calls on his name will be saved today. And so I don't know why you came. I'm glad you're here. But more than anything, I wanna invite you to draw near to Christ today. That's why the resurrection is here to draw you to him in a personal relationship. So it leaves us with this, how do I do that? Okay, so this is what I'm gonna pray for. Right now where you are seated, I'm gonna invite you into a time of prayer. And if this is you and you're like, I wanna become a Christian, I wanna call on the name of the Lord, this is your time. You can do it right now in your own heart and your own words simply by saying, Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God and you died for my sins and resurrected from the grave. I want you to be my savior and my king. Your words, that's what you profess. I'm gonna pray that you would make that decision before you leave here today. If you wanna talk with somebody, our elders will be in the room. They're all wearing lanyards. We've got several pastors here. We'll be down front. We'd be honored to talk with you. But this begins in your own heart. You, not your mom, not your grandma, not me. You, trusting in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Call on his name today. Call on his name and you will be saved. That's the point of Easter. I'm gonna pray to that end and then our worship team is gonna come back up. Let's pray together. As we just sit here in silence for just a moment, I want you to think about where you are in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe today is the the first time for you to put your trust and your faith in him, to believe that he is resurrected from from the grave and declare him as your savior and your king. Maybe like so many of us, your life is more like the prodigal son and you've wondered. And so today is a, is a coming back for you. Today is a returning to your savior day. And I wanna give you an opportunity to pray, to receive the forgiveness of Jesus fresh and anew. Father, as we celebrate the resurrection today and all that it means, It's an expression of your love for us. It is an expression of your triumph over sin and death. And more than anything, it is the means by which you draw all men to yourself. Father, we are here today from a lot of different backgrounds and experiences. Some of us from other religions, some of us from no religion at all, but we've gathered together to be drawn near to Christ. Father, as we lift him up, in our songs and in our prayers and through the scripture, would you draw us to Jesus today? Any person here who does not have a personal relationship with you, who has not trusted in Christ as their savior and their king for the first time, 
Father, would you speak to that person right now and draw them to yourself? In the same way that Jesus prayed, Father, glorify your name, we pray that together now. Through the remainder of this service, as we respond to your voice, that you truly would glorify your name. We pray this in the powerful name of our resurrected Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.